This is the Purpose Church Podcast. We exist to help every person live on purpose. It is our prayer that this message helps you experience God in a brand new way. Well, amen. Hey, good to see you guys at church today, and I want to welcome those again that are here for the very first time. Church, say hello and good morning to those that are with us for the very first time. Glad you're here at church today. Uh, My name is Landon. If we've not had the chance to meet, my wife Kelly and I get to pastor this great church. We're so glad that you chose to be here with us this morning. And when you walked in, some wonderful, happy, smiling people handed you a worship guide. Inside that worship guide is a connection card, and that card is just something for Kelly and I to connect with you on and send you a letter and tell you, hey, thank you for coming uh, and being here today. And gives an easy thing for you to have in your hand, some next steps to take if you'd like to take them. Uh, And this is a wonderful place to call home, to be in a church, Uh, and and we would hope we get to walk some things out with you and your family, uh, because God is up to something. Somebody say amen and amen. We're in a series right now uh, called Mind Monsters, and in this series, we are discovering, and it's a, it's a shorter series, it's four weeks, and we are discovering some of the, the big rocks of this conversation. Uh, it's a very important topic. It affects every single one of us because we all have brains, and so it affects all of us. We've all got mind. We've all got emotions. It affects every one of us. Week number one, we talked about mental health myths, the top two myths when people talk about mental health. We talked about what that was. Number two, uh, week two, we talked about healing from anxiety, what anxiety actually is, and what to do about it. Next week is the end of the series in which we will talk about steps to healing from trauma and what is trauma uh, and are you defining it correctly because how you define something gives it certain power in your life. And so some of us will find out it wasn't trauma, it was just a ticked off person on the highway um, and and we were just having a bad day and then some of us are going to realize we've been hiding from it. Um, and so it, but we'll get healing either way. That's next Sunday. Uh, and then today we're talking about two truths to remember when facing depression. It's an important topic. It matters a lot. And whether you have had feelings of depression or have gone through that void in your life before um, or not, you might know somebody that's close and dear to you and you love that has. And what we're seeing is that Christians who have some struggles in this area and have been open and honest with us, of which we are very grateful for. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. What we found out is that they're looking and they're asking questions. They're wanting to know. They're wanting authenticity. They're wanting to know something real. And so we started thinking about that. Well, how do we facilitate honesty in the church? How do we facilitate honesty in the church? And isn't that just a question that sounds dumb to ask? Like, how do we facilitate honesty in the church? Here's one thing we do know. You cannot heal from what you won't face. And so we have to be 100% on the ball about being honest with what we're going through. And that means that we have to have a safe place to face it. And one thing that we want to do, and this is why these series like this are non-negotiable for us as a church, because we have plans. to. I just want you to know it's a safe place. We have plans that are actively looking for ways to resource you. 
1518, we got about a 5,000 square foot facility that is bumping all the time. Our electric bill is very healthy, uh, and it is uh, even tonight. There's stuff going on tonight. NA meets there. AA meets there. Groups, trainings, next-gen small groups. There's like 100 children signed up for Wednesday small groups. Like all of that is going on. The youth group meets there. The worship team's there. All kinds of stuff is there. The staff office is out of there. It's a busy little building. It's on 1518, right next to the landing strip for Randolph, so it also shakes in the afternoon. But why, why I'm telling you that is there are a lot of rooms in that building that don't get used some, at certain times during the week. And I've been praying through, wanting to figure out how to do this. Kelly and I have been talking about this for years, and it's one of my number one prayer topics personally for 21 days of prayer is that God would connect us with Christian counselors who can work rent-free in our facility and have an agreement with us that because of that, um, they are going to offer a certain amount of blocks and uh, hours to give free or very low-cost counseling to the people who go to this church. Um, and because one of the things that you need, you start Googling stuff and looking for a, a, a good person to help you walk through some things, and you find somebody that looks like they Googled their own degree. And, and so you get what you pay for in this arena. And so we want to find people who are like-minded, that believe in the holistic approach to faith, that your emotions are not separate from your spirituality. And these are one of the things that we're wanting to uh, go through as a church, and more on that later. It's not available yet. Just want you to know what we're praying for. And there's these uh, other things on the horizon, too. And I'm going to be praying about that 21 days of prayer, which starts September 3rd. And so take your faith to the next level. We're talking about let faith arise. Take your faith to the next level and join the group, the 21 days of prayer group, online. Click the link on the homepage and take your faith to the next level in September. I believe it's going to change your life. In, as we get into talking about depression, I want to tell you about a guy who used to be a friend of mine. And for the sake of the conversation, we'll call him Chris. It was my freshman year of college. Um, we were fresh out of high school, and I went to Lubbock Christian University and right down the road from Texas Tech. And, and I was in that, in that school. I was a little scared about school, a little scared about college, and first kid in our family to go to college. So, my, you know, my family was like, good luck. You know, so, so it was, we were just figuring it out. And and I was a little nervous, a little introverted at the time, and, and just wondering how to get through. And then I met this guy. He was one, one of the most welcoming people into the dorm and one of the most uplifting people, very generous. Even with the way he approached people in the dorms, just had a, just everybody knew the guy. And he was so fun and he was so funny uh, and just naturally funny, like, like Jack Black. Just You just look at him and you're like, that's funny. And he hasn't even said a word. He was just one of these kind of guys. And out of everyone I had met my freshman year, he was by far one of the most encouraging. Always laughing. He was the one that was the point person who ran the men's dorm five-day long risk board tournament. Um, and it was, it was rowdy. We had to all get resaved after that. Um, but it was a lot of fun. And we got really bad grades that week. But we also had no idea what he was going through. We had no idea that behind the, the mascot costume and behind the laughing and the board tournaments and the goofiness and the, the office chair races down the long hallway and the pranks of filling up the dorm bathrooms with water and putting ducks in it, behind all of that, in my second semester of college, he made a conscious choice. We had no idea the pain, the hurt, the struggle. He was next door to me in our dorm. 
uh, and he removed a ceiling tile and took his own life by hanging himself. I pulled up from work uh, to see them pulling a covered gurney out of Johnson Hall. They wouldn't let us back in the dorm for quite a few hours, so a lot of people gathered in the quad, and we started talking through what happened. And Outside, smiling. Inside, depraved, hurting, dark. And in 2019, there was a, a pastor, his name was Jared Wilson, uh, and he was in a group of churches that did a lot of work um, with, with some larger churches, and so there were thousands of people involved in his sphere of influence, and he was only 30. Uh, children, wife, great job, great people around him. The day before he took his own life, he wrote this on his Twitter account. Loving Jesus doesn't always cure suicidal thoughts. Loving Jesus doesn't always cure depression. Loving Jesus doesn't always cure PTSD. Loving Jesus doesn't always cure anxiety. Loving Jesus uh, doesn't cure the, always cure anxiety, but that doesn't mean Jesus doesn't offer us companionship and comfort. He always does that. We got that screenshot from his, his wife's account who that was her screenshot post of the announcement of what happened. For years he battled these, these thoughts but told no one. Ongoing, chronic, crippling depression. And instead of being honest with somebody and telling them the darkest parts of his soul, he created a nonprofit that helped other people do that. Tens of thousands of people, have, have their lives have been physically saved and spiritually saved because of what he created, but he neglected himself in the process. Knowing that it was such a powerful thing that other people had to be dealing with it too, so he started something to help others. It didn't go there himself. Smiling for others, energy going towards others, always pouring out and not pouring in. And these words that... The words that Chris and Jared heard, one could only imagine how dark they were. One could only imagine how painful they were. One could only imagine the paralyzation of the soul in those moments. And so we have to wonder what took root and when was it planted there? And how did that go into it? Now, so, now some of you are like, I've never experienced depression. Like, I didn't even want to come here today. You know, you're like, I just came here because she made me or whatever. Okay, that, that's great, but well, we still don't believe you were here by accident. Someone who's not experienced depression can be dismissive and say, like, cheer up. There's no reason to be sad. Look around at all these other people. If you, if you would look around and stop being selfish and realize how bad everyone else has it, then you would be happy. These are things that I've actually heard and things that people have said to other people that I've heard in my office with others, and it creates more of this constant darkness. That there's, and depression's not like just a sad feeling. It's like it, there's, there's a void of joy. It's the absence of something. Fear gets put in there, and there are four root causes of depression. We'll get there in a minute. Even the CDC has declared that the number one epidemic in the United States today is depression, and suicidal ideation. Now, whether you believe what they post or not, that's still a big deal that it's even being acknowledged. 
And maybe you'll identify with this next verse. And can I be very honest with you? This next verse used to make me really mad. Because there are certain verses you read and you're like, oh, praise the Lord. I'm going to get rich. He's going to bless me indeed. You read the prayer of Jabez and you tattoo it on your chest and you just read it all the time. This is not one of the verses that I liked because when I read it, I was reading it through the lenses of what I was going through. So I want to share with you that if you do that, um, you will spend more years and hours and months seeking healing than you need to. So I'm going to just be honest with you. The most objective you can be today, that will be most helpful to you. And so try to see your situation from 30,000 feet, not ground level. See it more objective and more as a practitioner and really see, uh, read these verses. Uh, and I'm going to bring context to it. Don't, don't hear them through, well, this, well, that. Like when you start, say, no, I'm going to hear it for what it is. And let's see what it, it does in our heart later on. Proverbs 12, 25 says, anxiety weighs down the heart. This is only the first part of the verse. I want to show you a couple other translations. I love digging in to word for word, thought for thought, and then, you know, even, um, you know, bigger paraphrase sections. And I found some word for word translations that I thought were really good to share with you. Um, here's one, uh, anxious fear brings depression. Here's another one in the Darby translation, heaviness in the heart of a man maketh it stoop. Very King Jamesy, maketh it stoop. There's another one, a fearful word troubles the heart of a man. This is a word-for-word -word translation from Aramaic, the same language that the whole Passion of the Christ was recorded in, and the language that Jesus and his disciples, one of the languages they would have spoken. A fearful word troubles the heart of a man. Some of you in this room, have believed a fearful word. A fearful word. We're going to define it, but some of us have believed a fearful word. What are some of those fearful words? Well, one could be like words that were spoken to you about you. Words that were spoken over you. Words that were planted there. These are negative words and perhaps happen even from a parent or a teacher Growing up, and depending on how deep of a wound they created, it can determine the course of your life. You'll never amount to much. You're too broken. You're too this. You're too that. Whatever was said. And, but more powerful than the words that were spoken to you about you are the words that you say to you about you. The internal dialogue that determines and shapes our emotional stability or lack thereof in the moment. And you, you, you hear like if your knee-jerk reaction is, I'm an idiot, I'm this, or they'd be better off if I was gone, or, you know, I'm just always in the way, or I'm too energetic, or I'm too this, or I'm too that. And you're, you took what was said and you personalized it and and. And dug it deeper. And that happens usually more when, when, it's, when it's said to you when you're younger. Like when you're, when you're a little kid. And the things that you remember that were said to you about you. The phrases that you heard as a kid when you're, when you're acting up, you know. And, and, you know, you're acting up because, you know, you're at SeaWorld and it's 9,000 degrees and all you've eaten is junk all day. And your parents want you to behave perfectly, which is insane. 
the, the things that we hear are, what is wrong with you? Those are some of the things that we hear, like, what in the world were you thinking? You know what I mean? Those are the things that you hear. It's the words that are spoken over you by you. Both sources are demonic. They don't come from anywhere healthy. And even if you're a Christian, yes, you can have things working against you. I'm not talking about Hollywood's version of possession. I'm not talking about anything like that. But you've likely given the devil access into your own mind, or at the very least, not closed the door to certain intrusions. Heaviness, anxiety, worry, and depression are close companions, and at times you just can't kick them out of the party. They just won't leave. But I'm telling you today, that is the very tool of the enemy. And the devil is not just a schoolyard bully. He hates you because you were created in the image of God by God. So he hates you because you carry God in you. And the walls that you and I put up to keep bad people out are also not letting good people in. So we have to talk about the second part of the verse, which is anxiety weighs down a man, but a good message rejoices him. And this is when I used to get mad. Because I, when I was looking at it through the subjectivity of my own stuff, and I'm reading it that way, I'm like, yeah, if somebody came up to me right now and said, I've got a good message for you, they're going to break their nose. Like, I don't want to hear it. And I was so angry, so broken, so ticked off. I just wonder if anybody else can, can relate to somebody like me that was like, hey, if somebody gave me a good message right now, I'll give them a good punch. I don't want it. It's not going to help me. And, and let me tell you, that's a lie, by the way. It's a lie, by the way, and that's what I'm telling you the devil does. Is he tries, you try to keep people out, which means you're not letting good people in, and there's a good message that can do something in your soul, but we're like, that's stupid, it's not going to work. So we push all these people out. And so we never get the message that can bring joy to our soul. Look at this other translation. But a life-giving word of encouragement can do wonders to restore, restore joy to the heart. So we're being weighed down by all of this stuff, but a life-giving word of encouragement can do wonders to restore, everyone say the next word really loud, restore what? Joy. joy. Say it louder. Say joy. joy. It can restore it back to your soul, the depth of who you are. And the word good there is the Hebrew word tob, and it's best, better, pleasant, or true. And I believe that God's word, and the Bible is very true about this, the Bible says this, that it brings healing, that it's powerful, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And the devil knows that too, that the word of God can, can penetrate even the hardest of hearts. So he's trying to convince you that you don't need that life-giving words, that you don't need the word of encouragement, that you don't need that. Can I tell you something? Some of you have believed a fearful word, and you need a better, truer word of favor and a pleasant word to replace it, to bring joy to your heart. So four root causes of depression. It's a very complex issue. We've got to look at these four root causes. Number one is biological. There are some things that are true that there are biological chemical imbalances that need medication. And we're still figuring out why those things are the way they are, but it doesn't change the facts of what is actually happening right now in the moment. That there are legit chemical imbalances, chronic pain with it. That there is a nutrition deficit. It could be, you're not going to be happy 
if you're hiding inside doom scrolling eating Cheetos, like it's not going to make you full of joy. It's, it's, go, it's actually going to do the opposite in your body chemically. If we don't sleep well, if we're staring at a $1,000 rectangle and we're not sleeping well because we let all that blue light in and the last words you read before you went to bed were Trump's words in Fulton County Jail, you're not going to sleep well. Too soon? I'm sorry, too soon. You're not going to sleep well. And you're wondering, man, I just, I'm not sleeping well. And so and what about exercise? I think a lot of us would be really surprised how little we walk every day. And what about our exposure to sunlight? You're like, Landon, this is ridiculous. No, no, it's not. Seattle has the highest suicide rate in the United States because they see the sun the least. And I wonder if you and I could just see the world how God made it and participate in his design. That God did not design you and I to be fully clothed indoors in fake lighting. He created us to be naked and outside. Now stop the naked part, but go outside. It's too hot. Get in the water. Be around good people. Turn on some good music and be outside. Have some fun. It'll do wonders for your soul. What about this one? Relational. No cut is deeper than that that comes from family or friends. They're deep cuts that take a long time to heal. The pain of divorce or rejection, even what the pandemic did in isolating uh, everybody, like it, it created these things that we didn't know could be created in us. And, and there were things that were so hard to deal with that created depression. And what about circumstantial? There's a, a sudden death or a loss that you've gone through or, or or there might be an assault, like a legitimate trauma that you've gone through. And then the, the emotional response to that from, from yourself was depression. Uh, bankruptcy, we've seen that happen. We've seen it happen with retirees. As soon as they retire, they're like, what, am I, what on earth am I here for? People who suddenly become empty nesters and they're like, I don't know what to do with this. Like, my life was lived to serve these other people and now they're gone. And I don't know what to do with my time. You know, that's why I'm... That's why we as a church are really trying hard to build people and not just build a big group of people. Because if you know your purpose when your kids are here, you'll know your purpose when your kids are gone. And so there might, it might be a little quieter in your home, but you'd see it as a bonus uh, uh, and not a letdown. And what about number four? What about spiritual? What about the things that are going on in our Life Every day, the Bible says there is a spiritual battle going on that we can't see. But even right now in this moment, there's a spiritual battle going on for your attention. Even right now in this moment, there's a spiritual battle going on in your tomorrow. It's hard for us to comprehend with our finite minds how this infinite stuff works. <coughs> but there is a very true part of it that spiritually there are forces. There is a very real enemy that does not want you to experience joy because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And if you get your joy back, you get your strength back, and he is in trouble. So if he can keep you from joy, he can keep you from moving forward. If he keeps you from moving forward, then that's one more person he gets to put in his yes column. We got to look at Jeremiah. At Lamentations, he's called the weeping prophet, and I don't think it's a bad thing. I just think he was in touch with some things that maybe you and I need to get in touch with. 
He battled a lot of inner darkness and depression. I mean, wrote a whole book called Lamentations. It's a book about crying, lamenting, sadness. I'm going to give you some context to part of Lamentations chapter 3. Solomon's temple stood for 400 years. And these are the things that we want you to learn. I mean, if you're going to nerd out about anything, let's nerd out about church history because it will, it will reveal the Bible to you in other ways that you've not seen before. And so we'll, we're going to talk about some of those things and how we can do that even at the building I told you about. But the Solomon's temple stood for 400 years. It was destroyed by the Babylonians in 587 B.C. Landon, why do I need to know that? You need to know that because Jeremiah watched it all happen with his own eyes. He saw his loved ones killed. His close friends made captive and turned into slaves. His family was deported, suffering beyond imaginable. He saw it, and he got depressed. Imagine if some tanks rolled into Belmont Park today and took your home out, and they grabbed your wife and children and threw them in a van and left you there with a burned-down home alone. Would you say, I just need a life-giving word. My heart maketh stoop. I need lifted. No, you would, you would be so depressed, you wouldn't even know what to say. This is where Jeremiah was, and thank God he had the guts to write some of this stuff down so you and I can read it later. Some of you have seen and heard things that you can't unsee and unhear. The whole forgive and forget thing is a lie. In fact, the Bible never tells you you're going to forget any of it. Barring something that gives you amnesia, you're never going to forget anything that they did. But you see it differently. But there are some things you'll never unhear. There are things you will never unsee. And so just imagine the, the thing that he walked up to and saw. He'll never unsee it. He'll never unhear the screams. These are the, what we're about to read are the descriptions of a man of God who was broken and struggling with the deepest depression of his life. Look at Lamentations 3. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me to walk in darkness rather than light. <clears throat> he has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. God has made me dwell in darkness with those that are already dead. He's walled me in so I can't escape. He's weighed me down with chains. And even when I call out for help, he shuts down my prayer. I've been deprived of peace. I've forgotten what prosperity and happiness and laughing is. So I say, my splendor is gone, and all that I'd hoped from, for the, Lord, from the Lord is gone. I remember my affliction, and I remember my wondering, and I remember the feelings. I remember what I heard. I remember what I saw. I well remember it, and my soul is downcast within me. What descriptive metaphor. I remember them well. What do you remember well? What is it that he said to you? That you remember. Like you could write the script for a movie because the scene replays. You remember what you were wearing, what they were wearing. You remember what it smelled like. You remember where you were, how hot or cold it was outside. You remember all of it. What can you not unhear? What can you not unsee? What do you remember well? 
I used to despise that. I used to despise that. I even remembered. I even prayed sometimes little goofy prayers like, God, can you just like, like if you hit me with a spiritual bat and I just, I don't want to die, but can you just make me forget? It was just like this prayer for escape, and it just is not ever going to happen that way. And I just, I want you guys to know that there is someone in the Bible that is proving to you that God doesn't want you to forget it. Because there are certain things you can do with that. That no one else can do. I remember them well. How did he get here? A prophet, loved by God, completely broken, destitute emotionally. There was circumstantial depression. Everyone was gone. His home was destroyed. There's spiritual depression. He felt like he let God down and that God was beating him. Here's two truths to remember if you're taking notes. Two truths to remember when you're battling depression. Number one, your emotions are valid. Your emotions are valid, dot, dot, dot. There's another part of the phrase. I'm going to give you the first half of each phrase. So your emotions are valid. You and I cannot control the emotions that we feel. You're not able to do that. You're not God. You're not able to stop the emotion before you feel it because you're not in your own mind and body five seconds from now to be able to handle it. This isn't the minority report. Tom Cruise isn't like in a little bit ahead of you stopping these crimes. So the emotions that are felt are valid. They're real. They're not to be dismissed. Number two, your situation might feel hopeless right now. So your emotions are valid, dot, dot, dot. Your situation feels hopeless. If you're depressed right now, you've tried to read your Bible. You've tried to pray. You've tried and tried and tried, and you still feel stuck. And what I just told you in those two points is true, but it's also incomplete. Let's finish it. Let's add to the statements. Your emotions are valid, but they are not permanent. They're not permanent. It's hard to remember that in the moment. You feel like you're always going to feel like that. It's hard to like when you're, when you're just going at it with your spouse or you're dealing with it with a boss or, or those feelings if you're raising a child alone, those feelings of, what do I do with it? Like, you don't, like, this feels permanent. It's been going on for a while. Feels pretty permanent. I don't know what to do with these feelings, but they are not emotions as they were created by God are not permanent. And it's hard in the moment to think, how am I ever going to not feel this way? But there is a way. Number two, your situation feels hopeless, but with God, there is always hope. Notice I said, but with God, there's always hope. People are looking for hope in dark moments. People are looking for hope when things are broken. People are looking for hope when they're worried. People are looking for something to give them a reason to wake up tomorrow, to get out of bed tomorrow. And even when you don't see it, even when you don't feel it, even when you can't sense it, God is working and there is always hope. Somebody say amen to that. Let's look at a few more things before we get ready to end and move into response time. Because my prayer is that, and I was writing this message, I just kind of leaned back in my chair and I was like, God, I just pray that, and I just wrote down what I prayed for you. I pray that they get a good word today. And I pray that they get a right word. And I pray that they get a timely word. God, I pray that they get a better word, not a fearful word.
a word that will give them hope. Because your emotions are a very important part of your healing. God made them. They're not to be dismissed. And if you grew up in a certain vein or if you've, you know, read the book The Secret or whatever and you're scared to speak anything to the atmosphere because it's going to happen. If you think you're going to be poor, oh, you're going to be poor. You shouldn't have said it. You name it, claim it, blab it, grab it. Now give $1,000 to break the curse. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. There's no spiritual indulgences you can pay. It's not how it works, but... There are some things we need to name and identify. we got to deal with it the right way. And by the way, can I say, it doesn't offend God when you have questions. It doesn't make God upset when you say, I'm angry or I'm frustrated or I'm confused or I'm worried. God doesn't look at you and go, how dare you feel worried? I mean, my son died on the cross. All you did was lose your phone. And we think God treats us like that. But he doesn't. When you hurt, he's hurting. When you're laughing, he's laughing. He feels everything we feel. In fact, the Bible calls Jesus the man of sorrows because he felt it deeper than you ever will. And he went before you and felt every emotion you'll ever feel and showed us how to get out of it. It's a powerful example. Landon, I'm not Jesus. He did all of that as a man, not God. If Jesus did everything in the Bible as God, then you and I couldn't do any of it. But the Bible is very clear that he did every miracle and every connection to God as a man, not as a supernatural deity. He did it as a man. Your emotions matter a great deal. And so I just want to ask, you to ask this question. Is anybody in here afraid of spiders? Raise your hand. Like, raise it high. Now, who in this room would hold a spider if I gave it to you right now? You'd hold it. Hey, there's an altar call for you later. I mean, we'll talk about it. I'm just kidding, just kidding. Better than snakes. I mean, I'll just say it. So there's, there was a study done. I, I don't like spiders. But as the man of my house, I got to handle the spiders. I got to handle them. And the ones I like the least are the smaller ones because they're fast. And you lose them. In the color of the carpet, you lose them on the wall. Like you're wondering, where'd it go? You feel the air conditioner touch the hair on your neck. You're like, it's on me. It's on me. And then you're Chris Farley and Tommy Boy. You're like, the bees. And you're just uh, freaking out, just ripping clothes off, running outside. The neighbors call the cops. Don't like spiders. But I'm going to handle the spiders. I, don't, I know you don't like spiders either, but here's what I do know. That there was a study done, not with a little house spider or an orb weaver like we have here, which are only like the size of a quarter. This, spot, this study was done with tarantulas. Now, y'all calm down. I know. I know. Just feel your heart. Just everyone pray in tongues right now. Just let it go down. Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost. Just let it come down. Now, I don't like spiders either, but here's what I do know about this study. It showed that they had participants in this room, like 30 of or 40 of them in a room, and they put... Uh, put them in group one, two, three, four, and each one of them had a cage of these big, gnarly spiders. Now, tarantulas, like, when I grew up in West Texas, they were everywhere. Like, you'd see them walk across the road, you thought it was a rabbit. Like, they are huge, they're everywhere. Now, these little tiny, cute spiders we have down here, they were all over the place. And what we did in West Texas was what you do when you're raising kids there is give them guns and M80, you know, grenades that you can blow things up with. And so we just walked around with all this dynamite, Blowing up tarantulas. That's what we did for fun. And we turned out okay. So it's fine. We're all fine. 
And so the tarantulas, I'm like, those are crazy. And they don't bother me until they start hissing. And then I found out they can jump. And then I was like, now I'm done. Now I'm done. So they did a study with these tarantulas and gave 10, 10, 10, 10, group 1, 2, 3, 4, and gave them a cage. Not like a plexiglass one where you can't see or hear them. They're, you know, they're coming through at you. And, you know, they're just, they're there. And you're close to them. They put them real close to all these people and made them look at the spiders. And they said, now we're going to split you into different groups with your spiders in group number one, you're just going to label what you're feeling. That's all. You're all. That's all you're allowed to do. Like I, I, I am feeling scared. Like I don't like this spider. Um, like I, I'm feeling like I'm. You know, I need to go to the bathroom. I'm feeling like I'm going to puke. Like I'm. I'm feeling mad at you for putting me in a room with a spider. Like what? It, just label what you're feeling. Whatever comes to your mind, label what you're feeling. Group number two, you're only allowed to make observations. It is a big, hairy spider. Um, you're only like be objective. Like the cage is silver. Um, it can't hurt me. It's in the cage. Um, spiders are weird. What just label your observations. All right. And then the third group was now say something irrelevant, totally irrelevant. Like you're looking at the spider and say, it's a Tuesday. Uh, just say something irrelevant. And they were saying things like the McRib is back. Like they're having to think through irrelevant things to say. Like, really irrelevant things that mean nothing to no one, like Philadelphia Eagles, like phrases that are stupid like that. Like, you're just. <laughs> Football's back, and I'm so happy TV's back in my home. I'm so happy. So happy. I'm tired of watching dumb sports. Anyway, so it's the fourth group, you're not allowed to say anything. You can't say nothing. You just have to stare at it and let it stare at you with all of the eyes. Sees you moving. They waited a week, exposed these people. Seven days later, they all came back. Exposed them again to the spider. And then they put little, uh, I don't know what they stuck these little things on them, like to measure their physiological responses. And they put them in the room again with the spider. All the same people in the same rooms in the same group. And they measured things like their sweat their heart rate, they measured uh, their posture in the chair, and they had the, they put everyone in the same room, in the same chairs, in the same place, and then did like video on top of video to see how their posture changed because they saw the spider again. The ones who named their emotions the week before performed exceptionally well and had no physiological responses to the spider at all. Some of them even held the spider. That's too far. But some of them held the spider. Other people did not do so well. The ones that dismissed it and said, it's a Tuesday, they had worse reactions. The ones that just objectively treated it as fact had worse reactions. And ooh, the ones who didn't say anything at all did not do well. Guys, Naming your emotions opens the door to changing your emotions. Naming your emotions opens the door to changing. They're valid. It's not spiritual to pretend they're not there. Like when you're like, hey, how are you doing? And someone's like, I'm blessed and highly favored. I'm blessed and highly favored. I'm blessed and highly favored. I'm always like, what are you hiding? No one says that that many times in a row. Like, it, it's not untrue. You are blessed and highly favored as a child of God. But I asked you how you were doing, not giving me a theological one-liner. How are you doing? 
It's not unspiritual to pretend emotions aren't there. In fact, it's self-sabotage. God gave us emotions, but they're not permanent. And because our emotions are temporary, we're not going to make permanent decisions based on temporary emotions. And we're not going to make permanent conclusions based on temporary emotions either. Like all churches are this, all men are this, all uh, all women are this. We're not going to make these giant conclusions based on a temporary emotion. So if you're battling depression and you feel like you want to quit on marriage or quit on this or quit on your job, you want to shut out the world, or what if it's darker and even in your darkest moments you're considering that you should not be here earthside, that it was better for them if you're not here, that it is never, hear this clearly, it is never ever under any circumstances true. God knows you, and he knew what he was doing when he made you. He created you on purpose, for a purpose, and you're supposed to be here to fulfill that purpose. What you're feeling right now is temporary, but God's plan is permanent. So your emotions are valid, but they're not permanent. Number two, your situation feels hopeless, but with God there's always hope. Somebody say hope. See, in verse 20, he said, my soul is downcast. It maketh me stoop. I'm down. Then verse 21, he says, yet I call this to mind. And therefore, I have, say it out loud, hope. In the middle of his darkest moment, he calls to mind the character, the goodness, and the faithfulness of God. In verse 22, he says, because, I call this to mind, because of the Lord's great love. All of these reasons are still here. His life has been destroyed. His family is gone. He has no home. Everything that was comfortable in his life has been stolen or taken. And then he says, yet I call this to mind because of the Lord's great love. I am not consumed for his compassion's Never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Wow. I can't even quote that when my team loses or I lose my phone. The dog, neighbor's dog is demonically possessed. Like what is the depth of our spirituality here? The Lord's great love, it's, it's a plural form of the Hebrew word chesed. And Hebrew is a very descriptive language and English is very literal. So one word in Hebrew would take us a paragraph to explain. I'll show you how. The word chesed is difficult to translate, packed with meaning. There's not one English word that even comes close to describing it. And so that's why we have to expound on it. If we just did word-for-word word translations of the Bible, it would make no sense. Because those languages don't translate always. And so we're trying to see the context of the verse. And Hebrew is hard to translate. But some of the translations that were attempted have said loving kindness, mercy, or loyalty. Like so when we're talking about the Lord's great love. The Lord's great love. That's hesed. And they're talking about loyalty, big time love, his great love. They're like, how do we explain this? It's, and so here's the deal. It, you can't just say the Lord's great love without bringing in his character. Because the word is, has a deeper meaning. 
And the word compassion's there, that we're not consumed, but his compassions never fail. That word is the word rahama, and it means mother's womb. There were other words he could have used, but he used the word that describes the womb of a mother. And when we look at that, when we dig into that, what happens in a mother's womb? It's a safe place. It's a sanctuary. It's where life begins. It's where you're nourished. It's, it's, it's where you're strengthened. It's where you grow. It's where you're protected. It's in this protection that the bigness of the, Lord, of the love of God renews his compassion and his mercy for us every single day. So in the darkest moment of Jeremiah's life, he's saying, but I remember that my God has plans to save me, protect me, grow me. I don't know why that happened, and I might take it to my grave that I'll never be able to reconcile in my finite mind how an infinite God could ever allow something like that to happen. But I know this to be true. I know this to be true, that even though he slay me, yet I will not serve a false God or bow down to my emotions. And that in this moment, in the darkest time of my life, I'm choosing to say that he gives me daily grace, daily compassion, daily mercy, daily goodness. Every single moment of the day with God, there is always hope. So what do we do when the world feels dark? What do we do when it feels so messed up we don't know what to do? And I thought about this exercise I was in in this leadership deal, and they they took us all into this room. And we, they opened the door, and it was a smaller room. There was about 30 of us, and there were just ropes, you know, secured to the wall, and they were everywhere. I mean, it was all, like, tangled up and looked like a spider's web on top of a spider web on top of a spider web. And then they took us to certain parts, had us crawl under, and then stand up, and we're just in the middle of all these ropes. Like, it was super weird. And then they blindfolded us. I was like, this is getting worse. They blindfolded us, and then they put our hand on the rope, and they turned off the lights. And they said, your, or before they turned off the lights, they said, your job is to get to that corner of the room where the, the finished flag is. And you can't let go of the rope. You can jump a rope, but you have to always have your hand on a rope. And I was like, oh, that's easy. I'll just go boing, 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 and get there. I'm fine. We're running into each other, hitting each other. One guy got, like, something knocked out. It was weird. Like, this is an interesting exercise, but I've never forgotten it. And so we're sitting there. I'm starting to get frustrated. Because I'm, I'm in the dark. I'm like, I don't think I, I feel like I'm a kind of a smart guy. I think I know how to get over there. I got my eyes closed. I'm starting to get mad. I'm starting to get frustrated. I'm like, why? What kind of demonic employee would come up with this stupid exercise? And then, and then I'm like, it's hot in here. They not pay their bills. What kind of person runs this place? Like, you know all the thoughts that go through your mind. And I'm holding on to this rope. And it, an hour goes by. No one's gotten to the flag. Nobody. An hour. And finally, I just raise my hand. Because they said at any point, you have a question, raise your hand. But if it's not a question, we will answer. Or if it, you know, then we'll just walk away. I was like, okay. So I was like, let me take my chance. I was raised my hand. And I said, I need help. And they took, the, they took the blindfold off my face and said, and took me out of the room. I said, all you had to do was ask for help. One guy was in there five hours. He was a Philadelphia Eagles fan. (laughs) Very dumb. 
It wasn't real. I made that up. Y'all calm down. All the, all the kind people are like, oh, I emotionally am angry at you. All you had to do is ask for help. And then one by one, people started asking for help. Like they just got to the point where they had to ask for help. People coming out crying. Because it was the first time in their life they had said the words, I need help. Asking for help is not a sign of weakness, remember, from week one. It's a sign of wisdom. And you might need help from a good counselor. You might need some medication for a while. You might need to change your diet. You might need to look at changing your schedule so you can at least go on a 30-minute walk at night. You might need to start journaling instead of doom scrolling. Keep your phone downstairs and never take it to bed. It's these personal disciplines that prove our discipleship, that keep us connected to God and not to other things that distract. You might need to join a small group, which you all do, and they launch in a couple weeks. Get in a small group, get real friends around you. We need each other, iron sharpening iron, helping each other become the people of God we were created to be so we can shine the light of Christ in a dark world. I call this to mind. Look at the scripture in verse 21. Yet I call this to mind. I imagine his posture went up, that in the moment, like it was just down, his posture goes up. And you know, sometimes you just got to preach to yourself, right? Sometimes you just got to preach to yourself and say, like, I know I'm feeling this right now, but my God is an ever-present help in time of trouble. And I know I'm broken, I know I'm defeated, I know I'm stuck, but my God is an ever-present help. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. That my God is my refuge and my strength. That my God is the lifter of my head, a shield about me. I'm convinced that all things work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So I'm going to ask the band to come out and help me end today. And If you're stooped low, and your posture is like, you're just broken, you're stooped low. You're, we're finding out that this $1,000 rectangle has owned our soul. And we're finding out that the false narratives that we've read online have controlled our joy. And we're finding out that the constant influx of news and opinion has destroyed our outlook on the future. If that is you today, I want to ask, who has believed a fearful word? If it was something that was said about you a long time ago, if you believed a fearful word, the only way to remove that fearful word from it being the filter for which you live your life is to receive a life-giving word of truth. I'm going to ask everybody to stand to your feet as we get ready to move into our response time. And I'll tell you what that means. is Response time is just a few minutes where the band sings a song of, of truth over you and we have communion and the prayer partners are down here. And I'll call them up in just a moment. But 
Who has believed a fear, fearful word? Everybody just bow your head and close your eyes and think for a minute that right now, in this moment, this is one of the safest places in your life to be. There is no condemnation here. There is no stigma. This is a place of joy and honesty and strength. Who has believed a fearful word? Would you raise your hand? You've believed a fearful word over your life. Wow. Wow. God, for every hand lifted, God, thank you for putting us in the room together. And God, would you honor their boldness to tell the truth and say, I believed a fearful word and I've lived my life and I've made decisions based on that word for far too long. That I, I have taken jobs because of that. I've, I've been with people that I shouldn't have been with because of that word. I have made some life-altering decisions because of what was said to me about me, and I've said things to myself that have taken me darker and darker, but I'm putting the devil on notice today, and I am calling to mind that greater is he that is in me than he that I'm dealing with or what I'm seeing or what I've been struggling with. My God is greater than my addiction. My God is greater than what happened to me. The words Jesus says about me carry more weight than what my uncle said about me, than what my mother said about me, what my father said about me, what that boss said about me. What my God says about me is that I'm called and I'm created, that I was created on purpose for a purpose, to do something beautiful and powerful in the earth, and that my great, great grandchildren will be singing the praises of God Almighty because of the honesty, the, the boldness of days like today. And no longer will the enemy control my narrative in Jesus' name. God, we ask that you would remind us of those truths when the moments try to get dark again. We, we ask for your strength from the Holy Spirit to come and embolden us to life change. So for those of you that are feeling heavy, for those of you that are feeling downcast in your soul, for those of you that are feeling weighed down with chains, we're going to receive a better word today. We're going to say to ourselves that the Lord is good. Somebody say it out loud. Say, the Lord is good. Say, in Him I have hope. In Him I have renewed mercy, renewed joy, renewed vision, renewed stamina, and renewed hope. If my God be for me, then who can be against me? Now lift your hands to the Lord and begin to thank Him for what He's doing in your soul, and your emotions, in your life right now. God's doing something in the midst of you right now. You're asking for help. You're crying out to God, and He will not see the righteous forsaken. He's not looking down on you. He's looking to you to pull you up out of that clay you've been stuck in. Your God sees your boldness and your courage in this moment, and the Holy Spirit is bringing peace to your life right now. Hell's back is being broken forever. We put him on notice. You must erase your plans. They're canceled. God's way is permanent. And God, I pray for any person that has been thinking about a permanent decision based on temporary emotion, that they will be honest with another human being and tell them the depths of their darkness 
and that can even happen right here today. So prayer team, go ahead and come down front. If you've raised your hand because you believed a fearful word or you raised your hand because you want to surrender to him, I'll tell you right now, don't give up. Do all the counseling. Take the medicine. Come get prayer. Fix your diet. Fix your exercise. Get renewed daily. Get renewed daily. And I'm telling you, when you do, every knee will bow. Every knee will bow. And there's truth in this. There's hope in the morning. There's hope because you're living. There's hope because you're breathing. And he is our great hope because your feelings are valid, but they're not permanent. Your situation feels hopeless, but with God, there's always hope in Jesus' name. Come on, let's sing this song together. If you raise your hand for anything, go ahead and come down front. Do not leave here without receiving prayer for, for what you raise your hand for. The hell's back is being broken today. Come on, let's declare it today and respond. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Church Podcast. If God used this message to impact your life, tell us your story by emailing thepurposechurch.com. Be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website at thepurposechurch.com to get connected and receive all the latest information.